0: We got day. <laughs> uh, but sometimes we don't really understand the history behind why we do the things we do, right? So we buy, uh, you know, candy and valentines, and if you didn't get one, there's one on a seat near you because it's Valentine's Day. Um, but we send these things, and we don't think about uh, the history behind the event. And it was really we're celebrating the feast day of a Christian martyr who said, I'm not going to give up my faith, and I'm not going to compromise the word of God, and he was beheaded for that, and I think yeah, that's significant to uh, to our lives as Christians. We should be encouraged by someone's testimony like that. So when you give Valentine's, yeah, there's this love emotion behind it, there's also something more significant in our church history that we well, would be good to be aware of. So anyway, that's the history of Valentine's Day for you. Um, kids, did you have Valentine's Day parties at school? Anybody? I didn't. You did? Okay. Right. I mean, I did growing up. It's like what you do in school. Um, in second grade, um, we had a, uh, a Valentine's Day party, and leading up to the Valentine's Day party, we made a shoebox, uh, like, mailbox. You're not. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so we had we had to bring in a shoebox, and, uh, and there were some kids that would bring in, like, um, if I said uh, Air Jordans, would you all know what I was talking about? Yeah. Okay, so they were bigger boxes, because they were bigger shoes, so they tried bringing like the bigger, I didn't have Air Jordans, because my parents were like, we're not dropping 90 bucks on a pair of shoes, so I had like the Keds, so it was a tiny little box, <laughs> uh, but uh, but uh, some kids brought in the big boxes, some kids, and uh, we decorated them, you know, so you could wrap them in cardboard or um, construction paper, put stickers on them and color them all up, and label it with your name, and it was like your your mailbox for Valentine's Day, and on Valentine's Day, you'd stick it on your desk, and there was a special time during the day where you would pull out the boxes of Valentine's that you had prepared for people, and then the teacher would be like, okay, everybody go around and put the Valentine's in everybody's boxes, and it was like this time you could run around and shove Valentine's in everybody's boxes, but you're constantly looking over your shoulder to see who's putting what in your Valentine's mailbox, right? Are you guys familiar with this scenario? Okay, so... Um, I have a distinct memory of second grade um, because after we got our, our, uh, our Valentine's shoved in there, we watched a little movie, and then we ha- were given time to go to our um, our Valentine's Day boxes and open them up and see the love that our classmates had for us. We experience it in a tangible form to literally eat the candy love that was given to us by our classmates. Um, and, uh, and I'll never forget this, because I opened mine. up opened mine. It was a small box. It was full. I felt happy, right? Um, and uh, I remember that people were exclaiming because, oh, I got this favorite flavor of whatever, and oh, so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so, and all these things are twittering around the room. <laughs> but I remember there was this one kid who opened up his Valentine's Day box, and he was very sad. Um, and yeah, he might have been a crier anyway, okay, maybe his personality. But he was sad nonetheless on that day, because he looked in the box, and whatever he saw, he didn't feel like he felt loved. He looked around, and compared to everybody else, he felt like he got less. Maybe he brought in, like, the Air Jordan box, and he just didn't didn't fill up the same way, okay? But whatever it is, I remember him sitting in the corner and silently crying to himself because he didn't feel loved. And in that culture, in second grade, those who got more cards or more candy or better candy, I mean, because let's be honest, there's good Valentine's Day candy. Okay? And there's like, this is just a token of I have to give you something Valentine's Day candy, and we know what I'm talking about. Not gonna list what's what, okay? Um, so, so those who got more candy, or better candy, were more loved, more popular, more whatever by their classmates, because their boxes literally overflowed with the stuff that had been poured into it. And those who didn't get this overflowing and this pouring felt bad about themselves, because Um, They just lack the love in the tangible form. Um, Now, for those of us that have grown up a little bit since then, uh, whether age, stature, or maturity, or a combination of the above, um, culture's not really changed. If we're very honest with ourselves, and we should be before the Lord, um, grown-ups have really not grown up from this grand idea of Valentine's in the Valentine's Day box. Um, it might change what it looks like, kids, okay? adults you're probably not decorating a box and putting it out there for people to put their love for you in on a regular basis. Um, but let's just be really honest, we still work in this culture. Uh, let me open my box and see who loves me today. Um, the most single most asked question of Google, do you guys know what it is? Why love? What is love? Right? Very close year after year after year after year Google um, and what they call their like trend headquarters okay they have something for that um, uh, they researched across the globe what are the most searched for search strings that's why when you type something in Google it can autocomplete because it's categorizing the things that are being searched for the single most asked question on Google, year after year, and, and by this I mean it is double the second place um, answer or question, okay? What is love? People want to know, how do I get my Valentine's Day box stuff full of love? How do I know what love is? Um, and if you Google, I did this, I spent a lot of time Googling love this week. Um, don't do that at Valentine's Day, do you get just sappy, all kinds of stuff, and think uh, okay? Um, but uh, needless to say, you will find some really interesting music videos, like What's Love Got to Do With It, and I'm sure the songs are, you know, going through your brain now. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, but aside from the music videos, if you Google What is Love, you will get literally a million and one articles that are like... Ten ways to know if you are loved. Fifteen ways to know if they love you. So, yes, buddy, you're in love. Eight ways to tell. That's from New Harmony. Thirteen scientifically proven signs you're in love by Live Science. What is love and what isn't it from Psychology Today? Daily, Daily. Ten definitive ways to tell you're in love with a right someone. Now, Huffington Post weddings. Do we really know what love is? Time and time i miss just pages and pages and pages, and your mind starts to go numb after you start to read all these headlines. Um, And and the thing is, as a culture, we are searching for affirmation that we are loved. We want to open our Valentine's Day box and see the good candy and an abundant amount of Valentine's. We want literally a checklist to run down to see if we have enough of these things in our life, then we must have love. We want to see our Valentine's Day box of life stuffed with the good stuff. And the sad part is, as I started reading through these articles, I became sad for people who are using these to determine what love is and uh, whether or not they have love in their life, I ran across a lot of checklists. How do you know? Checklist these items. Little quizzes. Are you loved? And so um, I didn't take them. I just kind of glanced at them. But here are some of the things that were on the list. You feel happy with this person. You like what they do for you. You enjoy spending time with them. Their annoying habits don't bother you. (laughs) If we're honest and we're in love with someone, annoying habits are still annoying habits. We just choose to set those things aside. And as I read through these lists and these items and these checklists, I begin to see this trend among all of them. These are all things about what we receive from love. They're all kind of a selfishly determined style of lists. Listen to it again. You feel happy when you're with them. You like what they do for you. You enjoy spending time with them and their annoying habits don't bother you. It's all very selfish. What makes me feel good? And love in our culture has become a selfish thing. We are defining it, according to Google, by selfish standards. I love someone, and consequently, they are in love with me, when they make my life easier. I love someone when it doesn't cost me anything, when it's easy. In essence, if you take all of this stuff from Google and all of the stuff that culture teaches us about love, We are looking to love ourselves, we just want to know that we are and we're going to do it in any way we see fit. Um, And, when love's not great anymore, then we fall out of love, right? You've heard the phrase, I fell into love so I can climb right out again. Um, It's the idea of you're stumbling along and you fall into a pit called love, and it's great while you're there, but if you don't like it anymore, you can climb out. And that's the idea that culture has given us. And you can find just as many articles and checklists on falling out of love as you do for what is love. So the two things that Google are providing answers for to everybody in the United States, what is love and how do I get myself out of love? There's some sort of conflict in our hearts and minds. You know, many marriage vows today are not vows anymore. Um, I've married a few people in my day, and as I do, I counsel them to choose vows vows, covenant vows, vows that mean something. Um, but unfortunately, there's a trend today where people who have grown up under this Google idea of love um, are starting to do vows in a slightly different way. And there's a trend right now where you are taking the phrase till death do us part out of the marriage vow and you're replacing it with other sentiments like, I kid you not, I've heard a wedding vow like this. I promise to love you as long as I'm able. It's that even mean? How long are you able Till you're done feeling like it? Do you grumpy at them one day? They don't squeeze from the end of the toothpaste thing and then you're no longer able to love them? When is the able part? You know, what defines that? That's not a covenant vow. That's just, I promise, that means nothing, okay? Mm-hmm. And then there's this one. Um, or until our time together is over. Are you going to kill me? Because that's, I kind of, yeah, that yeah, could be an answer to that. Is it until is it, so we just mutually decide, meh, we're done? And I don't know what it is. I want to go, you're on vacation, you want to go there, we're done. Our time is over. Um, and then there's this one For as long as our marriage shall serve the greater good. <laughs> Who determines the greater good? What is that? I'm getting looks of disgust and laughter. It's true. Isn't it? and, and then there's this one <clears throat> As long as our love shall last. can't. I wouldn't marry someone if that was the vow they chose to do, because I would show there's not this definitive commitment to one another. Culture has taken love. The very word love and the very concept, both of which are gifts from God, and they've turned it into this temporary emotion that can be swayed back and forth by the stem of culture and circumstance and emotion. Culture has perverted love to be something that we must earn, and once we have it, we worry we might lose it. Culturally defined love is love that is conditional. I will love you as long as it's convenient for me. As long as it feels good for me. As long as it's easy for me. And then when it's not, splitsville. Okay? This is not the love we read about in Scripture. This is not the love of God that began all things, that sustains all things, that spoke creation into being. This is not the unconditional love of God. In scripture, love is the first and last word in our Christian faith. It defines us and it motivates us. It is literally what we believe, who we believe in, and how we choose to live our life. And so, uh, for the next few weeks, we are going to be taking a mini-series, Look at Love. Um, and, uh, And we are going to be discussing love from the biblical point of view. We are not going to talk about marriage. This is not a marriage sermon series. We're not going to talk about our relationships. You, You will find application for your marriage. You will find application for your relationships. Primarily, what we are going to focus on is God's love, who God is, and then we will figure out what that means for us along the way. So, here's my challenge to you. As your pastor, please make every effort to be here for the remaining three weeks of the series. If you consistently submit yourself to the word of god you will find yourself changed by it for the better but if you flip in and out god's word is not going to be able to stick as well as if you submit yourself to it so um, commit for the next three weeks to be challenged and changed by god's unconditional love now um we're going to be in a lot of scriptures today and we'll get to them in a minute uh, but I first need to give you just kind of an overview of love. We've looked at culture, but that means nothing to us. So let's look at the biblical view of love, the biblical history of love. In the Old Testament, God's love is described with the word... Oh, that didn't turn out right, did it? Hesed, okay? Um, Hesed is uh, the word for love, and it's not an emotional response to beauty, okay? So if you see like a, a pretty somebody walk by, that said is not what the word love is there. Chesed uh, is um, it's not an emotional response to beauty, merit, or kindness. It is a moral attitude dedicated to someone else's good, whether or not the other person is lovable, worthy, or responsive. Okay? Um, not an emotional response. Enduring loyalty devoted to someone else's good, not based on the merit of the receiver, unshakable and steadfast. This is the defining love of God. It's an enduring loyalty rooted in an unswerving purpose of good. It can be stern, and it can determine to discipline a wayward people. But within it, there is kindness, tenderness, compassion, and its chief characteristic is an accepted moral obligation for someone else's welfare that nothing will deter. That's the definition of God's love in the Old Testament. And here's where we can see a really good picture of that in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7-9. through 9, God, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, who keeps said love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. He's basically saying, I love you not because you did anything for me, but because I choose to love you. And because I choose to love you, I'm going to act on your behalf regardless of how you are acting towards me. It's also, this has said love, how God's chosen people are to demonstrate their love back for God. So it's how God loves us, but then in Leviticus 19, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what word is used there? Has said. You are to um, has said love your neighbor as yourself. Love people like God loves you With that has said love That means it's not an emotional response It's enduring loyalty It's devoted to someone else's good It's not based on the merit of the receiver It's unshakable and steadfast God loves you like that And then in the Old Testament in Leviticus He says, and love your neighbor Like I love you That's a high call In the New Testament Hebrew was replaced with Greek, right? So the Old Testament, you've got Hebrew, and the New Testament, you've got Greek. But the definition of love, because God never changes, the definition of love does not change from Old Testament to New Testament, even though the language changed. We get the word agape. Are you familiar with this word, agape? Okay, there are a few other kinds of uh, love in the New Testament that are described. Phileo, which is... Okay. Brotherly love, like think of the city of Philadelphia. Okay, brotherly love and friendship. The phileo kind of love is like linking arms together to delight in partnership and common goals, um, hanging out together. It's just a brotherly love, you know? Um, Then there's eros, which is that romantic love where a man and a woman are hungry for one another and desire one another. There's another kind of love called storge. It's the affection you might have for your favorite sweater, a childhood blanket, okay? Um, that dog that you just, you know, love, okay? That's a store day kind of love, which is different than the brotherly love you have for uh, your friends or uh, the, the eros love that you have in a romantic relationship. But it's the agape love, which is the God's love that endures. Listen to the definition. It endures despite rejection. It puts oneself at risk. In the pursuit of someone else's good, with kindness, tenderness, compassion, and it's undeserved. This is the agape love. Agape means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. To put oneself at risk to love somebody else. Agape love is love that is characterized by the sacrifice in the pursuit of someone else's good. It is how God loves us, and we are called to demonstrate that kind of love... Back to God. So in the Old Testament, God said, I love you with a hesed love. Now, if you want to show that you love me, you will hesed love me and the people that are your neighbors. Now, in the New Testament, I agape love you is what God says. And um, according to Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, listen, um, here are the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself by agape love your neighbor. As you love yourself. The command has not changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament because God does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We are commanded to love one another with what is arguably probably the exact same definition of love, though one is in Greek and one is in Hebrew. Now, I grew up under a definition of love, which is a really great definition of agape love. Shout out to Cliff Purcell for teaching me this definition in my young days of faith. Um, that has said the agape love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself. It didn't all fit in there, okay? Um, Over and above myself, even at great personal expense, by the help of God's Holy Spirit. Love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense, by the help of God's Holy Spirit. And this definition was drawn from the example of Christ's love for us. So if you look at what Christ did for us, he demonstrated a preference for us right? when he came to earth and chose to walk among us. Over and above himself, choosing to set his own desires and um, his own physical well-being aside. Even at great personal expense, he was beaten and maligned and flogged and made fun of and eventually crucified and died for us. Even at great personal expense, but how did he do all of that with the help of the That's Christ's love for us, and that is how we are called to love others. I want to read a few verses with you to help us see the love of God from Scripture. 1 John 3.16. I'll put it up here for you. By this we know what love is. Don't Google it. Here's what love is. By this we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. Period. By this we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. It continues, and we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers, for others, right? Because we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? And that's in the New Testament and the Old Testament. By this we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. We know the agape love of God because Jesus sacrificed himself in the pursuit of us. Um... Everybody wants to be pursued. They want to know that they're valuable and they're loved and that their Valentine's Day box is being shoved full on a daily basis. If you want to know that, this is the thing that tells you. Jesus Christ pursued you unto death so that he could demonstrate his love for you. How about this? Romans 5, 5 through 8. This is just Romans uh, 5, 8 up there. Hope does not put us to shame because... God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Because while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though maybe for a good person one would think about dying, but God showed his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the idea. Christ died for you while you were actively... Offending him. He suffered under the hands of Pontius Pilate while you were sinning against him. And he did that so that, according to verse 5, he could pour his love into your heart. You're looking for a way to fill that Valentine's Day box of continual repeat? There it is. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Then there's 1 John 8 through 10. There it is. God is love. If you want to know what love is, don't Google it. You're not going to get this definition. Trust me, I've looked. God is love. In this is love. The love of God made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. He loved us first. He sacrificed for us first. He sought us out first. He went pursuing us first. When we had an empty Valentine's Day box, he came and just dumped himself into it and said, Here I am. I am loving you. God's agape love is demonstrated to us by the willingness of Jesus to leave his throne in heaven, to enter humanity, to wrap himself in flesh, to walk among us, to be involved in our lives, ultimately to die for our sins, and to be raised again. He literally poured himself out so that we could be filled with his love. Uh, I'm going to read a verse now that we should mostly, probably all know by heart. John 3.16, right? You guys can quote it with me briefly, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, when you read that verse, what words do you focus on? That's everlasting. Everlasting, okay. Right, i like that one. You know. It goes on forever, right? For a thousand generations is what it said, right? Anybody else, what words do you kind of come to mind when you read that verse? Hmm? World, okay. Like the encompassing entire world, okay, yeah. Believe in him, right? That's how we are um, brought into that love. If we just but believe that love is ours, because we're part of the world and we born himself up for that. He loved us. Not perish, right? We won't die, right? He loved, us. he loved us, right? So the word love. So sometimes, you know, um, I, I notice when we when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, we emphasize certain words by rote because that's how we're trained. Um, and so I see. Um, so when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, I Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Of the United States of America, pause, and to the Republic, pause, for which it stands, pause. Okay, this is we're we're training. You can hear the same rhythm over and over again. The same thing with this word. Verse: For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I tell you, we're missing the most significant word in the entire verse, and nobody mentioned it. <coughs> right. okay. Nope, not here. This is, this is, it's going to blow your mind. It's two letters, so. The word so. Oh, I wish that didn't format wrong. So, God so loved the world. It doesn't say God tolerated the world. It doesn't say God was indifferent to the world. It didn't say God was okay with the world. It didn't say God kind of liked the world as long as the world pleased him. It didn't say God thought the good outweighed the bad in the world. It doesn't say God was in a good mood that day. God drank his coffee in the morning. It didn't say God felt the world deserved this or earned this. It doesn't say God liked the world. It doesn't even say God loved the world. It said God so loved the world. That's a significant word. God so loved. He so loved. He abundantly loved. He unstoppingly loved. He forever loved. He chose to love. He lavishly loved. He faithfully loved. He selfishly loved. He sacrificially loved. He entirely loved. He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whoever would believe in His only begotten Son would not perish but have eternal life. That's significant to me. As I read through this verse, it's not just that God loved, I love my shoes, okay? I want to know that God doesn't store day love me like he loves, like I love my pet dog, but that he agape loves me, he so loves me. And he took this agape love, this so love, and Romans 5 tells us that he he pours his very essence into our hearts when we are least lovable. Right? How hard is it to love someone that drives you crazy and gets on your nerves and offends you and steps on your toes and cuts you off in traffic and does everything that you hate the most to you all the time? Anybody love loving those people? Nobody? Right. We're those people to God. And He so loved us when we were unlovable. And He said, I'm going to take it when they're most unlovable and I'm going to pour all of my love into their hearts when they are least vulnerable. When we are furthest from God in sin, doing and saying the things that offend Him, that offend His holy nature, and break our relationship with Him, and we are running in the other direction from God, He poured His love into our hearts. And it took the form of forgiveness, and correction, and grace, and redemption, and welcoming, and knowing, and strengthening. And when we are close in fellowship with God and we are seeking his face and we are having received his grace and forgiveness already he still pours his love into our hearts and it takes the form of comfort and joy and peace that passes all understanding and fellowship and strengthening and knowing and purpose and passion. And this poured love comes from a never ending source a never-ending source, everlasting, goes for a thousand generations, never runs out. And his children's Bible phrases it that God's love is a never-stopping, never-ending, unbreaking, always-and-forever kind of love. That's the kind of agape love, the soul love that he has for us. And Scripture tells us in that Romans 5 verse, his love has already been poured into our hearts. It has already been poured. You're not waiting for a filling. God's love has already been poured into your heart, and this pouring will never cease, never stop, never dry up. And he poured this love out on the entire world at great risk to his own heart. Because some will reject his love. Some will ignore his love. And when you extend yourself in vulnerability and in love, and you are rejected, does that hurt? Yeah. It stinks a lot, and it takes a long time to get over. Just ask Google, okay? There's tons of, <laughs> <laughs> there's tons of uh, uh, things on that. Okay, Don't ask Google, go to the scriptures. But when you get rejected by someone you love, it hurts. And God says, I so love the entire world. I'm going to pour my love, my very essence, because God is love. I'm going to pour myself into everybody's hearts. To pave the way that they might hopefully love me back. That they might experience the love and know who they are in me. That they might not want to seek love from other things that are temporary, but receive it from me in fullness because I'm continually pouring my love into their heart. And he chose to live and die in love for us. So that all would have the opportunity to receive him. His promise to us is that nothing will separate us from his love. We read this verse earlier, I'm going to read it again. Romans 8, 38 and 39. And maybe I'll just expand it a little bit, starting at 31. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he, how will he not also with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. And he's seated at the right hand of, right hand of God. And he is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? Sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, who is in your hearts because he poured himself out into you. His love has been poured into your heart, has already been poured. His love exists in your heart, but he does not force you to love him. This is where it's risky for him to so love, to agape love us, because he's taking a chance, and we might not say yes. He freely gave his love to you in hopes that you will experience it. See the beauty of being fully loved and fully known and fully filled by God. You are so loved by God. You are the recipients of God's poured out love. His agape love, his unceasing, never stopping, unbreaking, always and forever kind of love. But we walk around this world acting like we are not recipients of. We walk around trying to find love that will satisfy us at a soul-deep level through relationships and substances and promotions and money and possessions and, I don't know, the list can go on and on of the things that we try and find love through to get our Valentine's Day box full of, so that when we open it up, we go, I feel good about myself today. But we should be able to start each day, like Scripture says, His mercies are new every morning. The pouring is continually fresh, and we should be able to wake up and go, I'm loved by God. I'm so loved by God. The things that I've done don't count against me in Christ because God so loved me. That identity should change how we live our life. It is the first and last word of our Christian existence. God is love. God's love is in us. God is in us. He so loved us. should be all we need for life. So this morning, do you want to know that Christ has unconditional love for you? That He so loves you that nothing you have done is going to separate you from the love of God. No matter what life has been like, there is a God who loves you. Not based on what you've done or not done, said or not said, been or not been. Not what you hope to be. Not anything on who you are, and what you've done. He loves you simply because He loves you. Simply because He chooses you. Simply because He looks at you, and His heart breaks for you, and He wants to wrap you in His arms. God is love. God so loves you. And God has already poured out His love into your heart. All we need to do is say, yes, Lord, I believe that. If you want to believe and know that God has unconditional love for you this morning, you can. You can say, God, I just want to know that you love me. I'm trying to find love in other places and it's not working. Because I continually, feel love and not love, if you love and not love, if you love and not love, I can't take it anymore. I need to know that I am loved, fundamentally, no matter what, accepted by you through Jesus Christ. So why don't we go ahead and pray and then we'll worship. And as we pray, I'm going to ask God to speak to our hearts. Each one of us individually, because all of us struggle with some way, shape, or form, knowing that we are loved. We all need that affirmation, and perhaps it's just a shot on the arm this morning. You gotta remember. But perhaps it's that totally groundbreaking idea, revelation that says, what? God loves me. And that's going to make all the difference in the world for our lives. Father, you so loved the world. You so loved us gave your only begotten son, sacrificially gave his life. It broke your heart when Jesus died on the cross because you watched your son die. You know what it's like to love someone and to lose someone. And you didn't want to lose us and so you sent your son to die for us so that his love could be poured into our hearts. So that by any means we might come to know who you are. And Lord, this morning I pray That we would know the love of God. The unsurpassing, unending, always and forever, unbreaking love of God. Which will change how we view ourselves, how we view others, how we live, how we breathe, how we walk, how we give, how we read the scriptures, how we serve, how we talk with you, Father. It will change everything. And it's not something that we do, it's something that you have already done in us. Day, Father, than to confess our love for you in Valentine's Yeah, it's a marketing holiday, Father, I know. Cars and chocolates. But there's more to you love than that. You loved us with an adopted love, Father. We want to love you the same way. Would you open our hearts and our eyes to your love this morning? Would you show us how deep your love is, Father? You show us how wide your love is so that there's nowhere we can go to escape from your love because you don't want us to escape your love. You no, know, it hearts quiet before the Lord, eyes closed out of respect for those around us. If there is someone in here that needs to know the love of God for the first time this morning, would you raise your hands? shot in the arm, the reminder, for God to call out to them and say, I love you despite what just happened this week or last week or this month. Raise your hand. Thank you. Yes, Lord. For the rest of you who are sitting there praying and speaking with God and are just getting that affirmation, yeah, this is what I believe, I know God loves me, would you raise your hand? We are a people defined by your love. Apart from your love, we aren't anything, is what Corinthians tells us. Apart from love, we're just noisy symbols. Apart from love, the songs that we sing to you are empty. But you have filled us to overflowing, continually. As we sing these songs today to you, Father, may they come from a place of deep love. Complete abandon to you. May we make room in our hearts for more of you this morning. Pour out on us.